The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast World Cup Special. I'm Rebecca Walker, uh, and this podcast is in partnership with Her Game 2. In the studio with me, we have Dom Smith from the Evening Standard. What's going on, Dom? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. Good to have you here. I'm here with Lauren Baker. How are you? How I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Big smiles, big smiles. Big Come smiles. on, always. And Kerith Harrop, good to have you as well. How are you doing? See you again. Oh, well, guys, obviously defeat for England. Lauren, you got that face look on your face, which is... Yeah, just... man. I mean, I, I was en route to another game, so I was watching it on my phone on the bus and tough one to take for us England fans. Let's put it that way. Spain, the streets were silent. <laughs> Olga Carmona will go down in history as the um, obviously only player that scored, which obviously meant that Spain won the World Cup. So big, big moment. Um, an average of 13 million people in the UK tuned in to watch the final. Yes, yeah, it's 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 huge. When you hear stats about you know the women's game, Keris, obviously you've been uh, playing professional football for a while, and does that make you feel like yes, or are you just a bit like, well, why are we still talking about stats? It just should be what it is. No, absolutely, it's it's brilliant to hear. Like, so I've come from a time where there's the odd man and his dog uh, watching us play games, so um, no, it's fantastic. And obviously, even I think Australia, the host, they had some really good viewing figures as well, didn't they? So. Um, you know, the the growth in that country is fantastic, similar to what England had off, off the back of the Euros. You know, it's kind of starting that, that legacy and hopefully that will uh, continue. Starting that legacy. And obviously, despite the Lionesses' best effort, it didn't really happen for them, did it? Uh, no, it didn't. Uh, I think the, the problem for England is that they just didn't touch the ball. Uh, and you can't really win a final if you don't touch the ball. You, you can win it on the counter-attack if your opponents overcommit players and you, you go and b- break on them. But Spain didn't do that when, when they attacked. That, you know, it felt like they had a shot every five or ten minutes. And uh, you know, if you don't lose the ball and you're having regular shots on goal, you're, you're only going to come out as the winners of the match. And that's exactly what happened. Maybe they could have won by more than one, I feel like. Um, I think England still had opportunities. Obviously, Lauren Hemp hit the crossbar and, and there were a few moments. But it, it never felt like England were likely to get the equaliser it always felt like we were sort of fighting against Spain's dominance and in the end that that dominance told didn't it and oh god now as I say like they England wasted the first half mm. um, you can't afford to waste 45 minutes of football in any game let alone the, the World Cup final against Spain I think they went for the high press in the first half yeah, and yeah. yeah and it was kind of I remember seeing Jess Carter at one point like n- nearly in the opposition box you know she's our one of our free centre-backs so I don't know if that was the tactic from the start from Serena, um, but it didn't pay off because Spain are just too good. You know, they're very good at that tick attack of football, one touch football, and they beat the English press. And then the likes of um, Lucy Bronze and Rach Daly were out of position. Big gaps I felt in the defence, and that's where they were getting but, the opportunity. It felt like Spain were pressing way more successfully than England. You mentioned England's press and Spain being able to work around it. It also felt like in the rare occasions when England were passing, particularly in in their defence Spain were pushing them really high into the corners and you had England players playing way further back than we've seen them we've seen those individual players playing for the rest of the tournament and it was worrying and I think that carried on into the second half I I felt like Lauren James was receiving the ball ridiculously deep you know the sorts of positions in the pitch where where you know she's good enough to turn out of trouble and play someone in but she's not going to going to threatened the opposition defence if she's receiving the ball in, in her own defensive third. It, it, it was worrying for England that, that a team that pressed that successfully were, were able to completely stop 
pretty much England, I think we, we, it's fair to say, are one of the best teams in the world. And if we're that easily stopped by, by the press, th- that is slightly worrying for me. Well, Keris, you said, you know, Spain play that tick attack of football, great passes of the ball. Um, obviously, Lauren, like, who stood out for you in the, in the Spain final? Honestly, Jess Carter. Tell us more. What? And do you know what, you know what, what it was? Yeah. And just in the whole tournament as a whole, just from an England perspective, Jess's performances, I really think, have been massively underrated. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a moment in the closing, dying moments of the game where she's come over from the other side of the pitch and blocked the ball. And I just, I think with Jess, she wasn't one of the, she might not have even started some of the games if we had our full squad, like Leah Williamson back in fresh. So for her to come in and like, I saw leadership qualities in her. I just, I don't know. I felt really proud to watch her and I just loved her performances. I really enjoyed watching her play. She puts, she you can tell she wears her heart on her sleeve. And I think she's really just, she screams England to me at the moment. I'm watching that game. Obviously, we didn't really have a hold on it, but she was one of the players that stood out to me alongside Mary Earps. Um, so yeah, but. Saying that long, you're a Chelsea fan, aren't you? With Jess, that's what it is. That Chelsea fan is starting to come out. For me personally, I would have liked to have seen Lauren start that game. Um, I agree with that. Honestly, if you follow me on TikTok, you know I'm a little bit of a Lauren James stan. I get stick for it here, there, and everywhere, but I just think she's probably, if she didn't get sent off and she was carrying on them performances, one of the players at the tournament, quite frankly, why aren't we starting her? Why aren't we starting her? Good to hear some of your thoughts on this. You know, kind of this new thing in football, which is like the finisher. You know, this kind of, you bring on a player to kind of, you know, win the game for you. What are your thoughts around that? Do you think that's a a good tactic? Is that just a way to just kind of make everybody happy? What what do you think, Keris? Yeah, well, I was asked about this before the game. And I actually said, I think Serena should keep the same team from the last game because why change a winning team? You know, and obviously Lauren had had a couple of games out. So it's, I wouldn't say she would have lost her performance or anything, but that's two games she hasn't played, whereas Ella's had a bit more game time. It's always hard to drop a player as well when they've scored a worldie like Ella did. So, But I could absolutely see it from the other standpoint. People are saying, oh, well, Lauren James is your best player, so why would you not start your best player? That probably wouldn't happen in any other situation. So, you know, that would have been a really difficult decision for Serena. Obviously, now looking back, reflecting on the game, the fact England lost, everyone will say, oh, well, Lauren James should have started. But then I think if we'd have won the game, people might not have said that. So I don't know, it's, it's hard, isn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I buy the starters and finishes argument. And I think it's really important that you have players who come on who can impact matches. And, and I'm not. it's not like a skill, is it? Like coming on and having an impact like tackling or shooting. But it is sort of a, an asset which, which some players have and other players don't seem to have. And... Like I've covered the England men's team as well as the women's team for, for, for some years and I often quite quite dislike when England go out, a men's team go out of a tournament. There's always some kind of hindsight bias that people put on social media saying, why didn't this player start? Why didn't that player start? Why did he pick him? And I think you wouldn't be saying that if England had scraped through this game and got to the next round. Uh, but I don't think it's hindsight bias of me to say that I still think Lauren James over Ella Toon was the more sensible decision. It is true that Lauren James had not played for two matches and Ella Toon was was getting into the rhythm. She'd scored a ridiculously impressive goal against Australia in the semi-final. But I still think that we know that Ella Toon is impressive from the bench in a way that we haven't really seen from Lauren James in her career yet. She's a re- uh, you know she's an incredible receiver of the ball, Lauren James. She can shoot magnificently. She can cross well. She's one of the most talented players in the England team, potentially the most talented but is she an impactful player off the bench? I haven't seen that person in her career yet, whereas of Ella Toon I have. So that, that's all I would say on what that. What about Rachel Daly? What's any thoughts around? 
Yeah, I mean, she didn't get much attention, did she? I'd, I'd like to... I don't know whether she was injured. Or maybe they just decided to take her off. But I was shocked when Serena took both her strongest number nines off in Russo and Daly. I thought, oh, OK, that's that's interesting. You'd take your two main physical um, players off. And obviously England then reverted to more of a long ball game, which probably would have suited more Daly and Russo to flick it on. But then also they were obviously looking to play the ball in behind for the pace of Lauren James and Lauren Hemp. So... Um, yeah, no, I was, I was I was a bit gutted really that Rach didn't get to play up top yeah. the whole tournament, being as she was the uh, leading goal scorer last year. Do you think it would have made yeah, a difference, yeah, like so. in this um, game? But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a difficult one. I, I was just gutted <laughs> she didn't get to do that position at all in the whole tournament. And obviously, like you know, lots of players didn't come to the World Cup, uh, and it's a bit of a feat considering that they missed it. What do you think these players at home, Lauren, will be thinking? You know, World Cup final, England makes it. We lose 1-0. You know, we've got, you know, debates on should what players should be starting. What what do you think they'll be thinking as they're Honestly, reflecting? Honestly, I think the main thing will be just... We've got, we've got a deep, like, how far this game's come. And just England as a whole, like, we've just won the Euros. The amount of pressure on them girls to go and do well... Never mind win the tournament would have been massive. And when you've got leaders such as Beth Mead and Leah Williamson at home, I think their main feeling will just be pride, to be completely honest. That yeah, they'll be disappointed with them because, you know, when you get that close to literally touching the trophy and you don't get there, of course you're going to be disappointed tripping up at the last hurdle. But I think their main thing is, right, back to the drawing board, we're still getting into finals. That's, you know, it's an achievement in itself. Do you know what I mean? Regardless of our route through, I would argue that Spain definitely had the harder route through in what, Switzerland, Netherlands, then Sweden. But at the end of the day, like we worked with what we got. We've got players, like I said, like Jess Carter stepping up, doing well. I think it's somewhat reassuring for leaders like Leah Williamson to know, okay, if we have injuries, we have players on the bench ready to come on and do the job still as well. Like, we got to the final, it's like... true. And to be fair, Leah Willis, uh, Williamson put on her story, actually, a really good little piece, actually, just talk, basically backing what you've just said. Um, and I think, that, you know, when you get to a final, regardless of the result, right, <laughs> you're right, the, the feeling of pride is um, is immense. Um, and obviously in the Spanish camp, though, there's a bit. there's been a bit of controversy around their, their head coach, obviously, Vilda. Will he be remembered as a as a successful coach or will he be remembered for some of the controversy in the lead up and obviously during the competition? I think maybe this story is, we've heard a lot about this story throughout this tournament as Spain have got to the next round and the next round, but I think it's maybe best told through how they celebrated after winning the tournament. The players were celebrating in one corner of the pitch and the coaching staff were were celebrating in completely the other. And I think that speaks volumes as to kind of the the disconnect in that setup. We we know that uh, 15 of the players uh, sort of uh, went on boycott after the uh, in I think it was August of last year, claiming that the uh, the way that the Spanish setup worked it, it wasn't very forward thinking. They didn't have good sports scientists. They were taking long journeys on 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 buses when they thought that planes were more appropriate. Um, and they also don't particularly seem to like the manager Jorge Vilder at all either, which is a, a big problem when the, the manager the manager's sole role in football is to be someone that doesn't just give you tactical inspiration, but also gives you, you know, mental inspiration. It's someone that you're supposed to have a very good relationship with, and they don't seem to have that. Now, three of the players of the 12... Uh, uh, sorry, three of the 15 players came back for this tournament, including the eventual uh, golden uh, ball winner, Aitana Bonmati, who, of course, had a fantastic tournament. Um, but 12 of them didn't. And, you know, 
it, it's incredible that they were able to win the tournament without 12 incredible players. Now, of those 12, it's probably true that only three or four would have got into the starting lineup yesterday. A lot of them are more squad players. But even if England had lost 12 players and only four of them starters, I don't think England would be getting to a final. It's absolutely incredible what Spain are able to do. Well, Keris, I'd be, I'd be intrigued to kind of hear your thoughts on the first bit of what Dan was just sharing about just the setup. So obviously being a professional yourself, we even had a conversation about um, one of your previous coaches who, had, who was really good at like... Um, uh, really good personally with the the players, those who are playing in the starting eleven, and those who weren't. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it Mars. It's a miracle, really, that Spain did manage to win the World Cup when they don't. Well, a large part of them don't like the manager. You know, I've been involved in teams where, um, yeah, maybe the manager hasn't been as liked as as they should be, and there's not that level of respect. And generally, those teams I've been in, we've never succeeded. Whereas I've been in teams that have yeah, won the FA Cup and won the European Championships with England and. That's a large part down to the quality of the players, but also the fact that the players love the manager. There's that real level of respect. So it's, yeah, it's mad that they've still gone on to win the World Cup, despite a lot of them not liking the coach. So that just shows, doesn't it, the quality of, of the players. So, yeah, it's... And then obviously, related to the standards, I mean, yeah, you know, we're in... 2023 now, and the Spanish team have, have been successful for, for a number of years. And... I think as a player, yeah, you just want the basic standards. You want to be looked after right, um, want the right facilities, want access to top-level um, staff and, and medical care. And when, like, you know, the Spanish men will definitely be getting that. So why sh- should the, the Spanish women not be getting it as well? So I think that's um, the issues that, that us players just want, just the basic mm. standards right. You know, we don't ask for, yeah. for too much or excessive amounts of anything. We just want the, the basics to be there. And that's what it is. It's, you know, the standards. It's a bit of a perplexing one when just the standard can't be met. Um, and I'd just be just open question to all of you. Any solutions just to, to meet the basic standard? Start with you again, Keris. I think obviously investment is big. And I even see it now with England that the more investment there is, the more success there's going to be. And obviously Spain have done well to still have that success, maybe without the levels of investment or care that they want so can you imagine if they did get that level like they'd be literally unbeatable you know so maybe it's a good thing for real English fans that Spain aren't getting that but yeah in in the general sense of things like just better investment um, and just awareness really of like the game and then obviously top professionals then want to come in and work with with teams like Spain also you think about this like Nigeria and um, what was the other team there was another team that was Jamaica you know all yeah. these are teams where They've gone on and exceeded expectations with that lack of basic standards. So Zambia, imagine how, 18. yes, it loads. Yeah. There's loads yeah. of them. Zambia, so imagine 18, how good they would be. Yeah. Colombia yeah. as well. What about yourself? Just obviously you've come through like the academy system. Just like a solution maybe just that you would think like how, why, just here's what we should do to, you know, meet the basic standards. Well, from an academy perspective, obviously investment definitely is a big thing. But I think for me, stepping away and realising you don't actually see much of these women in the media or like, I think if you can connect with a player or a club, you're going to see, I don't know, you'll see, so England winning the Euros, for example, if you were going to women's football games before that and then after, you would have seen that the crowds literally doubled, tripled, 10 times in size. It's because we all connected to the England team because we all have that one thing in common that we're all English. (laughs) So I think if clubs can start doing that, I think the ball will just keep rolling in the sense of, right, okay, I'm connected to this player. Let's go and watch their game, et cetera, et cetera. Because like, I was at West Ham Chelsea, the men's game yesterday, 
and I see like the West Ham women thing popping up on the advertisements and I'm like how many people are really going to turn around and say oh let's go and watch that game I think the women's, women's football as a whole needs to come at it from a different angle than the men's because it's obviously the investment is a big key factor but we've been saying this for years upon years upon years and it's changed a little bit but I think if women's football comes from a different angle and offers something different than the men's game then we could hopefully start to see something different from that perspective, yeah, no. if that makes sense. I, yeah, no, I, I, it does make sense, Dom. I can see you nodding and kind of agreeing. I think it, I think it comes back to sponsorship, which is largely what, what Keris was saying as well. Like, you, you, you need sponsorship to be able to invest. You, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. So we see with the England team, they have sponsorship deals with some massively big companies. Google, EE, Deliveroo. These are not tiny companies. These are very rich companies. And it, it enables the FA to spend money and allocate money that, that wouldn't be there if it, didn't have, if it didn't have EE on the England training tops or Deliveroo on the, on the banners behind the, behind the goals, you know, that sort of thing. So Spain can do that more and the Spanish FA can do that more then there's more money available. The next problem becomes what you spend the money on and how much you allocate to the women's game and how much you allocate to the men's game. And that is another that's thing. Good, that that's some good thoughts address. there, some really good thoughts. Coming back just to, obviously, yeah, England's performances as a whole, at times it seemed like they've struggled, you know, they kind of just got through the line, uh, but found a way to a World Cup final, which obviously is incredible. Um, at the end, did it feel like a game too far in the end? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about like, just the resilience of the girls, you know, a lot of it is that, that mental resilience mm. to get through, even if you know you're not having a particular good team performance or individual performance, you've still got that mental capacity and drive to, to, to see through the game. So that's obviously definitely helped uh, England get through when some of the performances certainly early, early on weren't uh, great. But I, th- I was really impressed with how they played against Australia. Um, I thought they were brilliant, you know, fluid football. Um, yeah, just, just were brilliant. And then that obviously then transferred... Well, didn't transfer, sorry, into to Sunday's Sunday's game, and it's just yeah, it's just really like sad, isn't it, that the game where England really needed to perform and they just couldn't produce that performance. So I'm sure they'll really kind of look back on that and have some some regret maybe. But that's football, isn't it? It's it depends. It's all about who turns up on on the day and. Unfortunately, it wasn't England's day. Well, talking of like who turns up, I guess, you know, a big part of that conversation also could be being riddled with injuries in, you know, the lead up to this competition. You know, do you think that had a big impact, you know, not having Liam Williamson there, Lauren? Well, I'm going to say yes, in the sense of Leah, only as of recent, I've been really understanding Leah's role. Because obviously what she got the captain's armband and everything and it kind of made me sit up a bit and think because I didn't really know I obviously used to watch Chelsea's this and that Leah Leah's role as a captain became quite evident in the Euros and also for Arsenal and I think when when you've got players like that sitting at home recently as well she got recently injured it might have thrown a few it will throw off the dynamics full stop like I think if anybody plays football in a team and one of your key players gets injured yes it's going to throw the dynamic but in regards to the final, I'll be completely honest. Where you said it was a game too far. I do think we did struggle from the round of 16. Like the Nigeria <laughs> game was a bit too close for comfort. Um, but then again, styles create games in my opinion. Um, and I, hand on heart, I did think that the Australia game was going to be harder than the Spain game. Um, and obviously winning that got our hopes up. 
you know, what happened happened. We all know what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one. It is a tough one, but this is the Lionesses. Do you know what I mean? Like they've they've had to deal with so much turmoil over the years. Even in this World Cup, going into this World Cup, there was the drama with the goalkeeper shirts not being sold. Um, so there's always something on and off the pitch that the girls have to deal with. So they, you know, they showed that resilience. They found a way to win. But unfortunately, the Spanish game, you know, it was just one too many. But then again, it might have been written in the stars for Spain. I don't know if you saw yes. the goal scorer. There was some news the other day yes. that her dad passed away during the game. So sometimes, I don't know if, you know, if you have beliefs in certain things, sometimes it's just written in the stars for some teams, you know. We won our Euros on our home soil at Wembley. Like, <laughs> what? Like, literally what? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes there is that aspect to it. So, yeah, the girls can be proud, I think. But um, obviously, it does bring that question of if we have our stronger players back, like, do we just fully dominate? If we can get to the World Cup final with a team that may, maybe on paper might not be our strongest, then I think it just adds that excitement for the next tournament. It, it did It did feel like the injuries made an impact to England's performances in this tournament. Obviously, probably not the results. England had won every game apart from the draw against Nigeria, which they came through on a shootout and, and then the final. But, you know, Leah Williamson is a leader. She's, she's maybe more impactful as a leader than as a player. I think she's an exceptional player, by the way, but I think it's her leadership skills, sort of um, leading by example, that is what she's really best at. And Beth Mead, I don't, I don't think enough was made of what she did last summer. She, she won um, the golden boot for top scorer, the golden ball for best player, and she got the most assists in the Euros. And no one has talked about that ridiculous tre uh, like tre treble of achievements. I think that's absolutely crazy. Um, so to lose her is, is, is upsetting and to lose Williamson is upsetting and to lose Fran Kirby because of how intelligent a player she is was upsetting. But I still don't think that would have impacted England's tournament standings they've come second they've only you know only one team has come above them and I still think we would be talking here even if we'd had Kirby Mead Williamson in that game yesterday I still feel like we'd be sat here I'm afraid saying that Spain just stole too much of the ball had too much possession didn't give up opportunities and and, and deserved to win I, I, I don't think that those players would have made a difference other than maybe how comfortably England won, won the six previous games I think that's where it would have made a difference we we had moments against Haiti where we looked pretty poor. We looked poor against Nigeria. We had moments of, um, you know, where we didn't have the ball against Colombia. Denmark wasn't great. Those are the games when our performances may have been better because we would have been dominating more with those three players. But the final, I still think, may have, may have been too much for us, actually. Yeah, no, it is. Definitely playing in the World Cup adds that um, element of pressure. I think... Obviously, if you look at the Spain team, they're mostly players from Barcelona. You know, those players are used to winning Champions Leagues. They're used to playing in front of big crowds. I'm not saying England players aren't, but um, that I think that definitely helped them in this particular game. But I just, you know, they, they've they got good players. You know, Spain, uh, Bomati, she won the player of the tournament. Um, Sama Perello, she had a brilliant tournament. Good youngster coming through. Um, and yeah, just they just showed quality when it mattered. Um, just quickly going back to the kind of contra like controversies, Lauren, you even mentioned um, obviously about Mary Earp's shirt not being sold. Lots of, you said, lots of things the women having to deal with on and off the pitch. And more recently, Dom, uh, there's a, a piece written in The Guardian about um, Serena earning significantly less than Gareth Southgate. Your thoughts? Well, I don't think she deserves to earn significantly less than Gareth Southgate. Um, Serena Wiegmann has the last time there was a major tournament that she that a Serena Wiegmann led team didn't make the final of was the World Cup in 2015. 
She's made the final of the Euros and won it, the final of the World Cup and lost it, the final of the Euros and won it, and then the final of the of the of the World Cup and lost it. That's an incredible record. That in in the men's game, I think someone will be paid a lot of money to to stay in their role if that's what they were able to achieve. Uh, it's a to me it's a very simple question should she be paid the same as Gareth Southgate yeah she should I think that the England uh, men's and women's managers should be paid equally um, whether the FA do that is the more pertinent question and I uh, I hope that they will but they may turn around and say she's got a contract until 2025 we, we, we'd like not to meddle with the contract I would like them to meddle with it <laughs> but that's my, that's my prerogative. Keris your thoughts as well yeah, just meddle with it and not just increase the pain, but increase the length of it as well. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, I doubt that will happen. No, yeah, she definitely deserves um, the same, if not more. You know, like I say, she's had more success with England than the than Gareth has with the men's team. There's obviously that threat now of uh, other countries coming in to try and take her away. Like obviously, it's been known that the USA mm. national team have already tried to poach her. Um, but from what she said in the media, she's at least stay. You know. Um, completing her contract until, what was it, 2025, was it? 2025, after the Euros, yeah. Yeah, let's see it, so... Yeah, I really hope they extend it because she's just a living she legend. She is a legend. She's she going to get that or, statue outside Wembley. Yeah, That's what yeah. I want to know. Well, I, really <laughs> I, hope, I, hope I hope so. Yeah, I think yeah. she is. They're, they're, she deserves yeah. it if anyone does. Well, one thing as well on the equal pay, which uh, shouldn't come into it because it shouldn't matter, but it will come into it, and I hope that the FA think about this. England internationals in the men's game for years have earned a fee of a thousand pounds per game for playing for England and it's sort of an unwritten rule that they give the a thousand pounds to charity so no player has benefited from playing for England for, for decades and that's the same in the women's game so if we're not paying salaries to England players that's not a lot of money we're spending every year on two people the manager of the England men's team and the manager of the England women's team so it's not like there's a particularly obvious argument that says we can't afford it we can afford it because we're not paying the, the wages of uh, Lauren James, Reese James. We're not paying their wages, are we? We're paying the wages of two people. So I, I, I don't think it's that difficult. And what was interesting, spokesman from the FA, one, the way that they came from to kind of justify or to kind of feel like this is the reason why is was uh, because the women's game doesn't bring as much commercial sponsorship rights. But you've made the point, Dom, there about actually if the FA is one governing body, one pot of money essentially as in I'm sure obviously it gets designated to different places but was kind of leaning towards well actually this is where we're going to keep our line uh, for now what are your thoughts on that? The, 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 uh, there's a phrase called uh, being a loss leader and, and loss leader means like accepting that you're going to lose money in the short term to try and to try and grow in the long term and I think that is where when organisations have been brave in the women's game and accepted the idea that you need to be what, what's called a loss leader, I think they've been successful. The idea of Mary Earp's shirt not being available is because of that. It's, it, Nike's opinion is it doesn't make enough money. It's not, it's not a, a sensible business decision for us to make it. The argument, on the other hand, is be a loss leader. Accept that you're going to lose money on that. You might bring more money in the future. And, and in any case, it's not always about money. Yeah, well, that's, that's the way the world is. Everything revolves around money, not just... This should be yeah. one of those things. I think so much of what Mark Bullingham, the chief executive of the FA, said, this isn't always true of him, but so much of what he said in that statement was, was fair enough and it was, it, was a, it was an OK speech. I just didn't quite like that part because I, 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 don't, I don't understand how he can't see that the, the, the women's game is one of those things that needs to be a lost leader. And if there's one organisation you'd expect it to, to understand that, it's our own football association. But maybe not. 
Well, regardless, England have left a lasting legacy getting to a World Cup final for the first time. And, you know, England flags being hung everywhere, people talking about it in pubs, in schools, you know, people stopping on Sunday to watch this final. You said 13 million people tuned in, which obviously is a huge record. Um, And just like 6% increase in female affiliated clubs um, have arisen since May 2022 to 2023, which is obviously amazing. Um, We've seen a 16% increase in female players registered from September 2022 to May 2023, which is 23% increase um, in as an adult. And Keris, I'd be intrigued to to obviously being a professional. Would you, can you vouch and see that, yeah, this is true. I can see this in your obviously setup when you're at Spurs. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think that's obviously in relation to participation, but even like attendances, um, you know, even after I think the first couple of months after the Euros, uh, Arsenal sold out a lot of their yeah. games for the games at the men's stadium. And I'm hoping, yeah, that will continue to, to grow even more off the back of the Lionesses' success getting to the World Cup final. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what the uh, attendances will be. I know Arsenal have already um, announced some fixtures at the men's yeah. stadium. They've already sold a lot of tickets for those, which is fantastic. I think so- Liverpool announced just today, actually, oh, that, yeah. the, that the Merseyside derby is going to be back at Anfield, I believe, this season. I think in, in the WSL, we're maybe stuck in, in a moment, an unfortunate moment that I'm not sure there's actually a workaround for, which is that too many of these big WSL clubs, they, their home stadiums are too small for them. But but the men's stadiums are too big for them, as it were, and there isn't. You can't magic up a stadium that's of medium size. You, I think we're caught in in a middle ground in uh, in the WSL. Uh, certainly, the the English women's game at club level, which is just a bit difficult at the moment. Um, and, and clubs like Arsenal are making a concerted effort, and, and Chelsea, to a slightly lesser extent, are as well, to to push the women's game and, and move to, uh, the teams into the men's stadiums as often as they can. And, that, and that's probably all they can do is just maximise the number of those games a season because, you know, you can't magic up a stadium in the middle of London that's the perfect uh, in the st- uh, capacity because by the time you've built it, the women's game will have grown again and you'll need it to be bigger. So it's, it's difficult. I think as a player as well, like... I'd rather play in a smaller stadium, like regularly, and, and it's probably more so for the bigger games. Like when we played against Man United, you know, we knew we were going to attract more fans because it was Man United, and they've got some lot lionesses. But um, I wouldn't want to play in a stadium like that week in week out because I'd rather have a smaller venue with a bit more of an atmosphere. Mm. That's I think a lot of players would would say that as well definitely and as we said like the WSL is just growing at a phenomenal rate and uh, Keris just you know having played in the WSL for all these years I guess what difference has the last couple of years made and then I'd love to come to you Lauren obviously coming you know coming through an academy looking at first team WSL players but yeah just kind of share your thoughts uh, as the WSL has kind of increased and grown yeah it's been massive certainly in the last couple of years I think it's like anything isn't it when there's success then you're going to attract the crowds. Like I don't know, in America, you know, America had a lot of success, and now that their their league was um, attracting lots of big fan bases. But certainly now the English, um, the Lioness is doing well, and the English league has, has grown and become more professional. Then we're now starting to. I'm still debating which is the bigger <laughs> league, America or the English WSL. But I'll, I'll go with the WSL. But no, yeah, as a player, it's great, especially for someone who's been in the game for a long time. Um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we'd have. Some games where we'd only get a few hundred people and then we're packing out some of the, the big stadiums, playing in front of thousands of people. So, yeah, as, as a player, that's that's all you want. You, you want. I certainly loved it. I loved playing in those pressurised games in the big uh, big stadiums. Some players might not like it as much, maybe raises their nerves a bit too much. But for me personally, I love uh, 
playing in front of the bigger crowds. And Lauren, you know, dreams obviously to be a professional footballer. You were in the uh, academies at Spurs and at Birmingham. Just as you've like kind of grown up and as you've seen the WSL um, grow at this phenomenal rate, how has that kind of how did that impact you as a young as a young woman? And it obviously now kind of impacts what you do now, content creation. Yeah, I think a big thing for me because I started off in boys football as a lot of these girls did. Um, it's breaking that stigma of a certain group of that it's almost like they get defensive when we're trying to promote the women's game and it's like do not hurt our men's game that that's the vibe it gives and I think it's been great to see especially from the Lionesses Euro success like they're sending out stadiums the finalissima sold out it's so good to see that that stigma is starting to break we're getting people coming across from men's football to support the women and I think that's I think coming from like starting at the boys game and seeing like how difficult it was growing up with the stereotypes and like girls shouldn't play, girls should be doing netball, this, this and that. It's been really beneficial for me to see, especially transitioning into the content side of things because I'm having to deal with the same type of trolling online, like get back in the kitchen, this, this and that. It's great to see like that stigma slowly starting to break stadiums getting sold out <laughs> like we love to see it we actually just do love to see it <laughs> that's brilliant stuff and just for all of you what was your highlight of the tournament highlight of the tournament um i think it has to be some of the goals that were scored um in the group stage i, I was taken by surprise of how good south africa were and their goals they, they weren't worldies they were beautifully worked goals where a player reached the byline tapped it across and a bit, bit of a sweaty really a video game goal but they, they scored it like three four five times that, that, that was incredible to watch um the free kick from marta cox for panama against um france the way she threw herself on her back onto the f- floor and just started crying that is what you that is what you want she to see she cried in the middle of the game did she 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 flew onto her back and started crying her eyes out that is what the world cup is about it is a stage that a lot of these players have never graced before and don't you can't tell them but they may never grace again so you want to you know, you, you want to make the most of it. And, and of course, the Linda Caicedo goal, oh, where she, she, she bent between two yeah. players and, and whipped it and it hit the crossbar and went in. That is a phenomenal goal from a teenager. So, um, yeah, for, for me, the highlight will be some of the goals that were scored. Lauren, what was your highlight? It's going to be a bit biased, right? But my highlight was actually Jamaica. Um, to be fair, that's one of my highlights. That's my highlight as well. Like, I was so gassed. I'm going to be so honest. Like, okay, I was supporting the Lionesses as well, but, you know, that that team was... They set up a GoFundMe page just to get there. Like, what they managed to achieve, like, that was a massive sense of pride for me. To see them get to the last 16 against all odds. They had Brazil and France in their group. Like, crying out loud. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I was just, I was wearing my Jamaica top yeah. for vibes. Like, do you know what I mean? And then they there might have been a tear shed. There might have been a tear shed, but it was genuine. Nah, seriously, like that, that was amazing to see. Even seeing like teams like Colombia, like the support they had in the stadium when they pan back to them and their, their fans are doing the most. Nigeria too. Like, it's just great to see like teams that have really struggled. Um, Keris. Yeah, I'll say the Jamaica uh, moment as well. Because I've got a few former teammates. Yeah, Spencer, yeah. Drew Spencer, definitely that. But I think just the highlight for me was just seeing the crowds at the games. You know, even for some of the group games of countries um, countries that obviously Australia weren't playing in, there were some really good crowds. Mm. Um, obviously, the final and was was a great crowd. But I think when I, I was fortunate to go to the Euros final last uh, summer, 
and it, I was like emotional, you know, sitting there because I'm one of the players from a generation, um, bit bit older, who's been there from the start, and yeah, it's like emotional. And then to also see it in Australia, where football's still popular there, women's football, but not as much as it is in England. So to see that level of crowd in Australia as well was just was fantastic. Absolutely amazing. And, you know, Sweden finished in third place after defeating Australia. Um, and you've even just kind of mentioned it, like, you know, not the biggest of um, following in Australia, but actually after this World Cup, a whole bunch of new people kind of investing and, and wanting to explore uh, football in Australia. Um, how good is that for the game? Oh, well, obviously it's good for the game, but I guess what is the kind of the, the lasting legacy that Australia will have obviously in this World Cup? I think I get the sense that that would have happened wherever this World Cup had been held. I think if you'd held it on the North Pole, people from the North, <laughs> people from the North Pole would have got into into football, women's football that, that that weren't into it before. That is the magic of of where the women's game is at now. It's you know it's exponential growth. It's self fulfilling. You know the more success there is, the more success there can be. It's the the rate of growth is scary, and I feel like yeah, as I've, as I've just said, wherever the World Cup had been, I think it would have attracted new fans, and and those fans will stay now, and that's the important thing, and they'll tell their their kids and and their kids, and 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 that's how things grow. Absolutely. Uh, any thoughts on that, Keris Lauren? Just Australia being a home nation, and just the impact uh, for them, just locally and obviously nationally, uh, women's football will have on their. Well, for sure. Like one of their main sports is rugby, I think. So I think having women's football coming onto the scene, especially for like the young girls out there, it's going to be well inspiring for them. Yeah, their team also, you know, made it, they played one of the last games of the tournament. So they would have been following them, seeing the growth, understanding the atmosphere. So of course, it's going to inspire the next generation 100%. We have to mention New Zealand as well. We yeah, have to get obviously, you know, co-hosts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, New Zealand haven't even been mentioned, but... Um, you know, even for for them, they had some great attendances, and you know, one of my former teammates, Ria Percival, you'll know. Um, she put out a, a, an Instagram post just saying like how hopefully they've inspired the nation, and she feels that they definitely have with the amount of fans that came and the amount of young girls that she connected with. So, yeah, hopefully it will leave more of a legacy in New Zealand as well as Australia. Uh, Dom, you kind of led the way, but I have to ask all of you: goal of the tournament. Yeah, my goal of the tournament was um, a Teresa. She scored a, a banger outside the box for Spain. Uh, I think it was in the game against Zambia. Maybe? Zambia was yeah. right. Yeah, that's it. She scored a screamer, so that was that was definitely mine. Marta Cox was the best finish, but the best overall goal it is Caicedo. She she does. I think she's got about four touches to then have the fourth and bend into the top top bins. Lovely. Quite frankly, <laughs> just Chelsea fans coming yeah. again. Oh God, <laughs> my club bias. <laughs> and who would you say were the underachievers of the the tournament? Megan Rapinoe, America and Germany. Germany yeah. I've never Germany. seen Germany not get out of a group stage. I can't recall it. Like they're always there and thereabouts. Should have got out of that group as well. What, really what, do you, what, what do you think the impact was there? What? Why do you think they kind of struggled to get out? I don't actually know. Like it was actually like a shocking moment. I was like, like you expect them just to get through by default. I know you should never say that in the World Cup, but just one of them shocking moments, along with the USA. Like their team just, it didn't seem right. Like you saw Alex Morgan throwing a few. I don't want to say strops. Tantrums, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously Megan Rapino, like laughing at missing a penalty like it's it's all it just didn't seem right mm, Keris what what did you what did you kind of pick up why do you think they didn't get out of the the driving blocks 
with America. Um, they they hadn't had a good run in anyway. You know, I've got a friend who lives in America and she just hasn't liked the American team the way they've played for a long time. So if you don't have that consistency of winning going into the World Cup, then that will ultimately affect your performance in the World Cup. And yeah, Germany, yeah, it was just a shock, wasn't it? I mean, I, I wouldn't say they did anything bad in particular or they weren't really missing any key players. I think they just... That's, that's the beauty of football and why we love the game so much is that it can be so unpredictable. I mean, the, the US has had a head start on countries like England in terms of the growth of the women's game. And, and I, haven't got, I haven't got evidence for this, but I, I suspect when you watch the US team, I do get the feeling that I mean, a lot of those players are older players now, aren't they? I know they had 14 debutants, but the other players were a lot more experienced in their 30s. It feels like there are more egos in that team because they, they've been they've had incredible careers. And I don't think there's any ego in the England team. And I think that's what makes it click, is that they are honestly and genuinely all there for each other. And success as a team is more important than their own individual success. I don't know if you could say that about the US team. but that, and I think that's I why know. Sweden did well as well, because I look at their team. They don't have any particular stars or any players that stand out, but they're they're all just like there's no there's definitely no egos because there's no superstars in my eyes. But they get to finals and win medals year upon year, you know. So they're obviously doing something right, but that definitely comes down to the fact that they're just good, consistent players. But it seems like they've got a good team spirit and they all just generally get on and liking the manager as well would probably help. So yeah, I think in, we've talked about underachievers, but I think overachievers well, was, was uh, yeah, yeah Sweden. I think yeah. Who who would you say um, overachieved in this competition? Yeah, I think Sweden, and I think we've mentioned already teams like Jamaica, Nigeria, Columbia, Colombia. Yeah, really yeah. Probably didn't expect them maybe to get out of the group stages, but they've all done that with the all the stuff that's been going on in the background as well. And then just obviously overall with the competition, just the game, as just off the back of what you were just saying, the games are so tight, more so than maybe anyone really would have thought. Um, why is that? Is it because we're on a world platform again and it's just like you just never know who's going to step up to the mark or is it that people have come in really well prepared? Well, you assume that they're coming really well prepared, um, but we've even seen the likes of the, the big guns that we thought were going to overachieve, not overachieve. What, why, why do you think that in this environment, uh, this World Cup, that the, the games were uh, so more evenly matched? I, d- I can't recall whether this was the first Women's World Cup with 32 teams or whether the one before was the first. No, this, is the first. this is the first. So really, that shouldn't be happening. If you if you double the number of teams at a World Cup or, or take it from 24 to 32, that the game should be coming should be should be like bigger margins yeah. of victory. So for that to happen, that that just shows what I was on about the exponential growth of the women's game because the the, wor- the worst ranked teams who qualify should be getting you know, beaten by quite heavily in at least one game. And we, we didn't really see that. So I think it's more about the, the the level of football in some of these lesser nations, maybe ranked 20th and, and below, really raising their game. And, and when and when that happens, you, you lower the distance between you and the very, very best teams in the world. So I think that's what we were saying. I think it comes down to investment. Um, there is, although there's still issues with some nations, there is more investment in generally in women's football and that more investment you have the more players can play professionally which then increases their performance and obviously then the gap reduces obviously America have had that investment for a long time so for years they were always the the best team the team to beat but now other nations are are catching them up and I think as well it's to do with um, a lot of players so these um, nations like Jamaica or Colombia a lot of the players are leaving their own leagues and moving to to the Spanish league or the WSL where it's a professional environment. So as a result of that now, more of those players from smaller nations are professional footballers. Whereas, say, 
four, five, ten years ago, they they weren't. So they're getting that professional environment, and as a result, mm. improving their performance, and they're then taking that back when they go and play for their national team. So it's not great for their leagues, mm. like Australia, for example. Ideally, the Sam Kerrs, the Hayley Rassos, they would stay and play in the Australian league, but because it's not as professional as leagues like like the English league, the players are unfortunately going away. But it, it's then only becoming an advantage for those nations when they do come back and play for their their club and their their nation. And another factor is the underdog thing mm-hmm. as well. You know, if you're an underdog in a game, you will naturally play harder and work harder to try and beat those teams like the USA. So I think that's why the, there hasn't been the, the results that we thought we might have seen. Well, it has been an, a historical Women's World Cup. Uh, Spain lift the World Cup trophy. Dom, Lauren, Keris, it's been absolutely brilliant to have you on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms and give us a follow on Twitter at TWP1 and on Instagram, it's the Women's Football Podcast. Catch you next time.